Hi everyone, welcome to the show. Um, I'm always, 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 always very happy when authors uh, come back to the show because that tells me a couple things. It tells me um, they haven't forgotten where they came from and they remember the small people in their life. And um, it's always especially fun for me because if they're on the show in the first place, because I get to pick who comes on the show, um, that means... uh, uh, I'm happy to have them back because I enjoyed it the first time. And that also means they enjoyed it, hopefully. So I'm always excited when a guest gets to come back because it does feel like revisiting old friendships. So very happy that Claire Wynn is back. And she is a science fiction and fantasy author. Her her debut YA sci-fi novel, City of Shattered Light, came out in the fall of 2021, which... Yeah, might as well be 1868. (laughs) Um, From Flux Books and its sequel... A City of Vicious Night is really what we're here to talk about. She's a gamer at heart. She writes books that are fast-paced, snarky, and driven by fierce, flawed characters. Um, she graduated from Northwestern University, and has worked a legal writer, freelance editor, and an editorial intern. On the creative side, she builds props and armor for cosplay and writes storylines for LARP games, in addition to battling with Boffer Swords. I highly recommend checking out her stuff online, um, Instagram, anywhere she where she posts photos, really, because, yeah, her cosplaying is really fucking great. Um, and she has one of the best uh, colorful, contentful websites, author websites as well. It's it's uh, She's very much uh, in the spirit of her first two books anyways. It'll be a shame if she ever changes the color scheme, the palette for her future <laughs> books, because then I'll change the website. Anyways, please welcome back to the show, Claire Wynn. Hi, Claire. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. Thanks for the intro. Um, I'm honored that you like my books enough to bring me back on. And yes, I definitely Uh, made sure the website would be super bright because I have no idea if I'll ever get to publish another book again. But hey, um, I'm just going to have fun while it lasts. We're going to talk about that because, I mean, this book almost didn't get published. But um, um, we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, let's go here. All right. There it is. Can you see it? Yes. So we're looking, you know, people don't know what we're doing. We're looking at your website. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Amazing. It's just so. I did I not mean, build it, but KJ Harrowick is my web designer, and she did okay. an amazing job if anyone out there is looking Shit. for a plug. Okay. Shout out. Um, because, yeah, I mean, obviously, listen, it, it matches the aesthetic, obviously, of the of the of the books of the duology for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's just very pleasing to the eye. And, yeah, I mean, there's the wonderful covers and the two wonderful lead heroines there, and lots of good about stuff, good information. Yep, it would. Uh, this is a good way to keep like the Dahlia Adlers off your back if you <laughs> if you want to like make sure your website's intact because there are. There's lots of great people out there who are uh, always making sure auth- are on authors about making sure that their websites look great, but are more importantly uh, up to date. Um, making sure readers know what the latest stuff is going on. If you have something to update them with, if you don't, I guess then you know so be it. But anyways, wonderful website. Um, the last yeah, two or three, anyways, authors I've talked to um, were pandemic debut authors and so now they're you know into their second or third books and now finally they're able to um they're doing events in-person events author signings all these different types of things that maybe some people take for granted but debut authors don't and shouldn't so they were telling me in a lot of ways it feels like it's debuting again 
Yeah, that's absolutely the feeling. I'm really nervous because two weeks is my second book comes out. And while I'm a lot more relaxed about many aspects of the marketing and the book coming out, I know it's not it's not destined to be huge and splashy by nature because it's a sequel and nobody's going to read it that hasn't read the first book already. So the one thing that is really kind of terrifying for me is that I get to do my first in-person launch events. Mm -hmm. My launch event for City of Shattered Light was with a bookstore that I really love. It was completely online. It was virtual with Becca Coffin Effort. So that was great getting to connect with them virtually from a different state. But now like people are actually going to be attending and talking to me and I have to talk in person <laughs> in front of members of the community and family members. So that'll be, it was definitely a dream experience for me, but it's really surreal to say, oh, all these opportunities are still out there and the world's pretty much back open again. Yeah, I mean a lot of ways you've been you've been preparing for this though cuz you, mm -hmm. you 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 you're, you're such a fan of of um conventions and and different things like conferences and larping and all these different sorts of things like you're very much a community oriented person aren't you? So um and I don't and of course you can do that just online if that's your choice but you I get the sense you like to you're you're very much like to be out there. Yeah, I I I'm still terrified of public speaking most of the time, but yep, I yep. do, I do, yeah, I do really love the the community and the atmosphere of conventions, and it is completely different just sitting in my office at home and giving a virtual panel versus being there in person and communicating with people and popping into panels throughout the day, room mm. parties in the evenings, stuff like that. It's such a great way to connect with people and just be in the atmosphere of whatever the convention is about, whatever's bringing everyone together, and that's. I really love the accessibility of virtual conventions and panels, but it's not quite the same. Um, yeah, and and I mean, and you're right. To your point, there is a there is a big difference between attending a conference or a convention and standing in front of said conference and speaking. <laughs> There's a big difference. Yeah, uh, when all it's one thing when you're just part of the faceless crowd. It's another thing when they're all eyes are on you for sure. Um, yeah. Thank you for mentioning uh, also my friend, uh, Rebecca Coffin-Daffer, who's um, an amazing human. And, yes. And I can't wait to, um, until they get to get more books in the world. Throne Breakers mm -hmm. and um, uh, the Crown Chasers duology was uh, awesome. Yes. So, um, so, yeah, so it's you're sort of like debuting again and... Yeah, the, so just I was talking to an author earlier today, and uh, they were at Yale West and mm. talking about just a weird kink I have is I really love seeing people. I love conventions. I'm rarely happier than on a convention floor. Um, and uh, I really love just watching people, fans, meet their heroes. You know, for lack of a better word, right? Whether that's an yeah. author, author, actor, artist, whatever, a cosplayer, whatever the case may be, um, I get such a kick out of it. I love it. Just the, it's just pure raw, like emotion, right? You, you, you go to a lot of these events. Like people are crying sometimes when they meet someone. They've meant their when their work means so much to them. And it's gotten them through dark times or difficult times or 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 whatever. Or it's just just pure, uh, you know, just pure endless joy. Um, you, are you understanding that role now for yourself that you provide that 
Like you're, um, on, you're on the I other mean, side of the table. Now. Maybe someday. I'm not, I don't think I'm famous or popular enough and I haven't traveled that much for conventions. So I've only had a few people stop by my signings were like, oh, hey, I picked your book up at another convention or I picked it up at my local bookstore and I need to be here and I just want you to sign it. So it was never like a big sobbing, I'm your hero interaction. And I don't expect that to ever really be the case. I'm not, I'm not a huge author by any means. Well, but you don't have to is... be huge. You don't. No, no, no. It's not. This isn't. This is not. It's not a barometer of success. It's. It only takes one person, right? But, um, you know, at some point, yeah, when you get out there and start doing these events, it's 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 easy. It's difficult online, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, you can. You know, reactions are, are strange online. Sometimes it's you don't even know. This. It's like some people. It seems like they cry over everything, and then some people cry over nothing. So it's like. It's it's tricky to to sort of navigate that you know the temperature of that water, but you know you're going to run into it. I mean, at some point you're going to run into some. And if even it's just one person, I don't care. Like, listen, you've talked to a lot of authors, I'm sure. Um, every author has a zero turnout book event, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that won't be the case. But... No, of course not. Um, but every author has that story, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm le- I'm less interested in the fact that why people didn't come out because listen, it could be just a bad day of the week, bad time of day. The weather could have been shitty. There's all sorts of reasons why people can't go. There's still a pandemic stuff. Maybe there's all sorts of reasons people don't attend events. Um, and it rarely is it personal. I, I'm more interested in how the authors, because some authors, some authors are just really great at turning that into a positive, right? Whether they just sat around and, and chatted with the bookstore staff and made some strong, yeah. co- made some strong connections or whatever. Yeah. I've seen a lot of talk recently. I know there was that big, Twitter thread going on. And I was honestly surprised at how many authors out there are New York Times bestsellers. And they just sometimes they inevitably will have an event where nobody turns up just because either the event isn't publicized enough or it's too short notice or they're in a place where they don't happen to have a large fandom. Yep. But that was it was very eye opening for me. It does make me feel a little bit better about the possibility of having events that might not be well attended in the future. Mm -hmm. But I know that just because we're all so connected online these days, what it's really been helpful, I think, that I can have fans. I've gotten DMs from fans literally all over the world telling me how much my work is meant to them. And I haven't had that kind of experience in person yet at an event or a convention, but it really, it is great. It, that's, it has really reminded me of why I went through all the years of rejection letters in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's... Um, you know, obviously you have goals as a writer and, and, uh, I don't feel like, I don't feel like that's a goal that gets talked about enough. Um, of co- you know, like there's the big, you know, there's the, I want to be a New York times bestseller, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I want to, I want a movie deal. I want whatever, uh, I want to pay my rent, <laughs> you know, like I want healthcare, whatever your goals are, but, um, having some, somebody tell you that how meaningful your work is to them. Absolutely. Has to be uh, like just such a wonderful ex- experience. I mean, I, I I can only I can I can only imagine it. it's never happened to me. I'm not an author or a creator. Um so that's got to be a pretty special moment. And so now that yeah, so now that you're out in the world and you're going to be doing these things, I I I'm very happy for you and very excited for you to uh, experience that because you just can't replace that online, right? You just can't. Yeah, um, thank there's, you. There's no algorithm, there's no AI in the world. As powerful, as wonderful as AI is, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it'll never, not in our lifetime, any of these replace that. But um, 
Yeah, and it's really it's really easy to fall into the trap sometimes of being like, I'm just gonna check my Goodreads numbers and see if they go up. And mm. even if they do, it's just it's not all that satisfying. But if it's just one person that sends me a nice message, there's like boom, that makes my whole day. And it's the it reminder that at some point, like even huge numbers aren't really going to mean anything if you're not getting that feedback on your work and feeling that, oh yes, this is making an impact for someone. This this world and these characters are real in other people's heads too. And people appreciate it. And they're on this little adventure with me. That's exciting. That's why I do this. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's easy to be, and I, I'm not one of these people that like, I'm an essentialist when it comes to words. So I don't like, I don't really have a lot of I don't really see a lot of positivity or negativity when it comes to words themselves. So like I, to me, like pretentious isn't a bad word necessarily. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, to me, you're, you're allowed to be a little pretentious in the sense that like, you know what I want, it's okay. I want my book to be a bestseller, but I also want it to connect with people yeah, on a personal way. Right. Yeah. Obviously yeah. being a bestseller means you have more opportunities to connect. With well, that's it. And, that's it. Yeah. And and also you, know, you have a living wage. Well, ask, nice. yeah. Also you have fucking rent to pay and also you have, yeah, you, have exactly. you need healthcare and you've got dogs or you've got kids or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a deadbeat to spouse or something that's like sucking all your money away, whatever the situation is. Like, I don't know. Like but there's, there's demand. We're always, we're always demands, right? Our days are full of de- demands and uh, yeah. whether, whether it's time, money or emotion or something. So yeah, you have to like, it's all, it's all currency, right? Like, especially emotion and stuff like that. There's a lot of currency there. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. and it, it's, and you're, and it's, and it's one of the things that we spend the most, right. Is, is our, is our mentality and our emotion. So that's why we're so spent at the end of the day. Cause we're, we're out of currency. So it's like, we substitute with money and things like this. And that hopefully makes things better. Uh, it's supposed to make life easier. It doesn't always, but um, so point is so like things that are great and necessary and practical but i mean it's the memories you're gonna you're gonna keep with you i think the most right like you're always gonna remember like yeah like some special fan that came up to you and said something right but you're yeah. probably not but you're not probably not gonna always remember what like how much money you made in february so no, i don't absolutely you know not. <laughs> and that's why it is daunting to me to think about ever becoming a full-time creative because that not only not only is it such a an uncertain business as a whole it's like even if you sell one great book it's like okay are you going to be selling one great book every year for the rest of your life now and there's also the idea that i know that if i'm more pressed for time and if i feel like i'm writing something as a job like if i need a job to support myself and i'm doing that through my creativity then it stops feeling like something that i'm doing for the joy of it and because i like it and i feel like i'm less free to experiment so yeah that was was actually one reason why i think my sequel was a lot easier for me to write than my first book i've heard a lot of authors lament how much more difficult their sequel was because it was an option or no, it wasn't an option book. They were on deadline because they had a two book deal mm-hmm. and they struggled with it so much. And I didn't have that because I didn't have a two book deal and I could take as long as I wanted. And I knew that nobody else might read it. It was like, I want to just give closure to these characters in their world. I'm just going to do it and do it at my own pace. And it just flowed right out. It was so fast. It was the fastest first draft I've ever written. Mm. And yeah, that was so let's yeah. let's yeah so okay let's let's dig in a bit so um yeah like these god the word it's got to be being an author is really fucking hard um I, these like one book deal at a time like that's a nightmare like i don't have i don't have this the, the 
stability to handle that i would be a mess like i don't know but uh so yeah this is you know there's an option but nothing in life is guaranteed and obviously it's a you know you have to perform in this industry to a certain degree um let's talk let's go to the dark the dark days (laughs) before before you knew for sure what what was going to happen with book two this is a weird one because a lot of people do sell in young adult they do like to do two book deals whether Mm -hmm. it's a whether it's a duology or whether it's another book with a similar tone working with the same editor because the editor really likes the writing style but often the second book is just going to be an option book and if it will go to acquisitions the same as the first one doesn't always have to be complete um in my case my book was acquired like right during the major panic in publishing when the pandemic was hitting and a lot of editors were getting laid off everywhere. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Bookstores were getting closed as non-essential services. So I, we know we didn't even know if there would be a publishing industry within the next few years. So I just knew at some point that I needed at least one more book to tell these characters' stories. I knew I was more likely to get one more book than I was to get two more books. So I was like, I'm going to wrap it up in the second book. Um, once I had finished developmental edits on my first book, started on my second. It took me about seven months to write the first draft, which is very fast for me. And in the interim between between the drafting and the editing process, there was also so much more to do and to learn. And I don't think this gets talked about enough. When you're a debut author, you are learning an entire new industry and you basically have another part-time job slapped on top of everything else. And that is marketing your book and finding outlets to talk about your book and connecting with bookstores and other authors, that is all a lot of time and work. And I don't know how other authors manage to do a draft of their sophomore novel on deadline while doing all this and simultaneously editing their first book. So it is, it's a process. But my second book, it went through a few critique partners, it went through my agent, and then my editor, I had I editor changed also between this book and the second book because my first editor had left. Another editor had stepped up to take over her projects and I was really worried that it wasn't going to resonate with her and that she wasn't going to like it, but she really did. And I've been really grateful to be working with her. It checked a lot of the boxes on her MSWL page, which is fortunate. And they, my publisher actually offered on the first four chapters that my agent sent in the synopsis within three days of her sending it off. So that was really exciting. I was worried there would be a lot of waiting, but there wasn't. And that was the first four chapters you said, or just four random chapters? It was the first four chapters. First four, okay. Yeah. So it was like the option sample, but the whole thing was written. She just really likes uh, underground cage fighting, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a UFC fan. Um, yep, sad laboratories. That's, yeah. Yes, and mazes and rat mazes. Yeah. Um, so one thing that's happened uh, lately, and I've seen an increase, uh, was so I'm getting authors are just contacting me directly mm-hmm. uh, and asking for marketing. Oh, yes, I know. And, uh, and, and not authors and I, you would know them. Um, and one author recently asked if I wanted, uh, you know, a review copy Mm -hmm. because they were putting together a list, a mailing list for their publicist. 
So was the idea to get more people on a quota or what was the goal there? Did they want to be on the podcast? I, I don't, well, it's the goals are always different. Some Mm -hmm. want just, they just want coverage no matter what, but they said they are putting together a mailing list for their publicist. And I'm like, right. And I'm like, that's new. I've never, that's never happened before. Like I've had authors approach me for coverage and ask me, Hey, can I, you know, I'd love to come back on the show or come on the show or do you want to review Uh, that for sure. But I sometimes will find stuff and like run it by my publicist, but I'm not the one that generally puts together. The in lists. their words, they said, huh, I'm putting okay. together a mailing list for their publicist. And I'm like, wow, that's new. Um, and I hate that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> like, cause, to your point, right? Like you have enough. I, listen, I'm a socialist. I'm I'm a distribution of labor person. Writers write. Publicists publicize. Yeah, yeah. Like that's it. You have and enough. To, that- you have enough to do, and they have enough to do. And I don't. And I, and I don't know if it's just a really bad publicist or they're just overwhelmed. I, I they're cutting back on publicists at publishing companies. And yeah, I'm sure they are. There's more books with less publicists, and they like I know a publicist right now that has over 250 books. That's yeah. That's that's nuts. It's too much. It really um, is. It's too much. And, and so, I, of co- and of course, things are going to fall through the cracks, of mm-hmm. course. And guess what? Who's going to get blamed, right? It's, <laughs> it's going to be the public, right? And that's not yeah, fair. Absolutely. That is not fucking fair. Well, it's um, part of a trend, too. It is part of a trend. the yeah. disappearing mid-list over the past, I think people have been talking about this for a decade or more, but mm-hmm. even more so lately when the explosion of book talk and stuff that goes viral and then Barnes & Noble's new policies to cut back on their mid-list titles and stuff that isn't the the quote-unquote anticipated bestseller, aka the marketing darlings at the publishing houses. Mm -hmm. That's all coming back to them publishing becoming more top-heavy. They're going with, they're putting all their budgets behind authors who are guaranteed sellers, books that have already hit it big, stuff that they know is going to return their money. And Barnes & Noble's doing the same thing. And it's it's not a great time to be a newer author. It's not. It really isn't. And, you know, it's it's like if the industry is going to, like, rely on the top 10% to carry the 90%, yeah. I mean, that's just not sustainable. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, that's something just to your point. And, you know, I've always known, especially with social media, there's always a certain level of acceptance, I think, from the authors, right? That, yeah, you know, it's up to me to maybe do a bit of Twittering and a bit of Instagramming and stuff like that for sure, right? But when you're, like, cold calling, (laughs) that's that's different. That's different. And it's like, what choice do you have? Mm -hmm. You don't have a Mm -hmm. choice unless you're, again, a big, huge, ultra, you know, wicked person, right? Like, you've, you you don't, what are you going to say, no? Like you, you, I, you sure ideologically maybe, but yeah, it's hard because it's like, this might be your one chance to have a book out there and why wouldn't you do everything in your power to promote it? And I know that's a sentiment that so many authors I know have. Yeah. And it's worse when you see stuff like TikTok. (laughs) This is, it's a whole new beast and people don't really know how to handle it still, but uh, Cory Doctorow did a really interesting article about the enshittification of different platforms and how TikTok is heading down that path. And I don't know if you've read the article, but you might have heard quotes from it. He mentions the um, the giant teddy bear analogy where it seems like the platforms are the carnies and they're giving away prizes to certain people, but they control when people can actually get the ball in the basket. Right. And they. Right will sometimes give away one of the giant teddy bears to one person 
just hope people can see them walking around and say, oh, that could be me. I could win that. And that's kind of what platforms do by blowing up certain videos. They will heat certain platforms and people will say, oh, wow, this person's book blew up. Why can't that be me? And then you make TikTok your part-time job and it's still not really getting the traction you expected. And yeah. It's a slot machine. It's a slot (laughs) machine. It really is. It's a slot machine theory, right? Like every once in a while, someone's got to win. Mm-hmm. or no one or like or like you said or, or let's uh uh ring toss or you know one of the, car- one of the one games. carnival games yeah something mm-hmm. the kids won't know what we're talking about but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got it you're right you gotta let them win once in a while right that'll keep mm-hmm. people coming back give give people this illusion that that there's a chance right that's always uh that's always the thing but yeah it's uh it's I hate it. <laughs> I fucking yeah. hate it. I really do. And uh, uh, it doesn't seem like it's getting better. And the problem is, it's and of course, we know really who it's going to, you know, it's the marginalized authors are really going to take, take it. Yeah. Away. Oh, it's, absolutely. This ebb and flow that they've been on is, is about to, is about to be, you know, the peaks and valleys about to hit a big valley here. Um, because when people get nervous, they start taking less chances and yada, yada, yada. So oh, um, here we go again, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's too bad. But it's um, it's uh, it's tough because like you said, you have enough to do. And now on top of that, and like you said, it's not like TikTok came and, and, they, and something else disappeared. It's on top of everything else. Yeah. Right? It's not, you know, TikTok instead of it's TikTok and twitter and instagram and facebook mm-hmm. and your website and substack and your newsletter <laughs> like, yeah yeah you pretty right? much summed it up like there's boom there's eight hours oh when do i oh yeah i have to write a book yeah and <laughs> like, a day job so. and a day job and a social life maybe and what you know and maybe hobbies like forget hobbies fuck that <laughs> um anyways well this has been a great talk so listen we'll see you later now <laughs> um super depressing um you you sound like you got a sense of what it's about so it's you know you just what do you do you just got to put your head down and 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 just work i guess and yeah and hope maybe that. the algorithm chooses me someday yeah you know, or yeah who knows who knows i kind of um, want to just put my head down and keep writing books and then yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you see, like a lot of these independent people who are having success too, right? I mean, marginal, yeah. marginal success, but success nonetheless. And uh, yeah. you know, that, that that's, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's probably going to become less common as TikTok tries to, to solicit advertising. Yeah, money, like ad money, instead of just hey, look, you can blow up your book for free on our platform and make a killing. But now it's I actually heard that there's someone at TikTok is trying to start a publishing imprint and is distributing sketchy contracts to authors on there. I don't know the specifics, but oh, this has been that. that's awful. a rumor yeah. that's going around. Mm. I mean, if there's money to be made, someone's jumping on it. Yeah. Well, it's like the Amazon uh, imprint, yeah. imprint, right? Amazon, whatever it's called. I think um, a few. Yeah. Yeah. There's the main one I'm keeping thinking of, but I can't. Skyscape? No. I think it's just, it's called like Amazon something. Like oh, Amazon. maybe. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Anyways. Um, all right. Well, listen, everything's awful. Uh, let's, <laughs> no, uh, let's, she's on fire. let's talk about, um, let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about queer people. Um, Cause they're awesome. And your characters are awesome. And um, this book is so much fun. Both. I mean, both books, but city vicious night. Anyways, the reason why you're here. Um, 
super super fun god i had such a good time with it and i just remember a while ago on twitter i put that hot tub oh <laughs> 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 uh, folks you'll get it when you get to it um yep, sometime yeah, yeah. It's, it was a really fun book to write i'm glad i got to bring all these characters stories to a satisfying conclusion yeah and then i also had my spin-off novella which is just a fun way to wrap up a few threads that i didn't quite have room for in the second book sure so when you uh say so not knowing this book was ever going to see the light of day in in just traditional publishing is concerned um you could you know would have released it i'm sure in some fashion um just as christmas gifts maybe or something (laughs) (laughs) what uh had you had both books mapped out or so i'm notoriously bad at outlining i i don't if if i outline in too much detail it really takes away the fun of drafting for me and i just can't make myself do it and i also don't fully understand a scene until i am down there in it and sketching out all the details that come around it and there are a lot of details that will pop up that I don't even know about until I draft those scenes. So generally mm-hmm. I'll start with a an idea of where the overall plot might go, an idea of how the character arcs will resolve. There will be a few fun and exciting scenes that I have in mind that I'm excited to work toward, but the actual form that they take will depend on the context. So I had been, I had a lot of pieces, a lot of potential pieces floating around for this book because I wrote the first draft of City of Shattered Light in 2017, and that was a while ago. So I had years to daydream about these characters and their worlds even before the first book was published. I started querying the book with an agent in 2018, got an agent in 2019. I signed the deal in 2020. It came out 2021. It's a long process. Mm-hmm. So by the time the second book rolled around, I knew the characters a lot better. And I had a lot of pieces I knew that I wanted to explore. I had a lot of fun scenes, some of which I didn't even get to include, and some of which I'm going to explore more in the novella. So that was why things flowed so well for me was that I didn't have a rigid structure that I was using, but I knew everything that could potentially be in the book. Right. So had you figured the ending out? Uh, I didn't. I knew where the characters were going to end up. I didn't know what the ending scenes would look like. Okay. Maybe percentage wise, how much of the story changed over the course of, of get finally getting to it like sitting down to write the second book and then finishing it um oh my goodness there are definitely some plot elements and some plots that i played around with but that didn't work there were some pieces that i definitely had to discover along the way i knew i wanted some scenes with asa using her diplomatic skills i didn't know how extensive that would be i knew i wanted yeah so actually the main villain in City of Vicious Night, which I won't spoil, or a a major villain, was not in the first book until after I signed with my agent. There's like a detail in there. And (laughs) it's easy to miss, I guess. But yeah, that was something that I wouldn't have known until a few years of revisions on the first book. So I'd say that there was a pretty solid original vision for the book, but it was fuzzy. Mm. I don't think it was quite like, oh, I have this all mapped up and I'm just cutting pieces. It was, there's a lot that needs to get moved around. 
one of the things i don't know there's these list of rules apparently when you're writing sequels and stuff is that you're not supposed to start pick up right away like you're not supposed to pick up immediately where you left off um or the you know duology police will come and get you um so you didn't you know so you're you're safe um i hadn't heard that rule but yeah there's a couple of weird rules like that um of course they're not hard rules um Mm -hmm. So City of Vicious Nice picks up uh, four months after the first events of the first book. Um, was that just arbitrary, or did you did you sort did you plot that four months at all in your head or on paper or anything, or was that just it's just an it's just sort of an odd time, um, amount it, of time? I mean, it made sense to me. I wanted to give Asa a bit of a chance to settle in. I wanted mm-hmm. to give um, some of the conflicts that were lingering after the first book some time to steep and settle and percolate because obviously that becomes a problem for the main characters pretty quickly at the beginning of the book Mm -hmm. and i wanted ty to also have some time for his problems to start coming to a head before the book kicked off so i wanted the characters i wanted asa to have time to settle in with the team as well so i didn't want it to be like immediately where it picked off i wanted i wouldn't admit i didn't want it to pick up immediately where the first book left off but i wanted to give it time for the the conflicts to settle in i guess okay what's what's your uh, pitch give me the city vicious night what's your what's Um, your do you have a practice to summary yet are you just going to read if you're just going to read the google one then i'm not going to read it but i know the i know our official pitch line is for the most hated crew on requiem the only way out is up and it's about it's about the fallout from the first book. The main characters are working as smugglers for an underworld matriarch. And the fallout from the first book is that they start getting blamed for the destruction caused by what they believed was a rogue artificial intelligence chasing after Asa. And there is one specific saboteur with a personal connection to the team who is perpetuating it. And they find that they're only way they can remain safe in the city is to buy for a position of power in one of the underworld syndicates so they enter a series of deadly trials the best way to uh fight back against the rules is to make them yourself i guess right so yeah the idea yeah the idea is to uh it becomes like a i know i think i saw someone a blurb said something about uh hunger games but um feels more like a running man or something but uh <laughs> something a little different but um it's uh yeah it's a it's a really 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 neat premise and anytime you have characters so there's a great line there's a couple of lines i wrote down um ty um <laughs> poor ty um it that's like the the thrust of the first half of the book that's not a spoiler is it where where ty's where we meet up with ty well it is in where he is yeah because i think that the epilogue in the first book yeah where he is yeah right so i mean he's still in the lab he's trapped okay all right all right yeah so he's still in the labs and uh ty's having a tough 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 go um there's two lines i wrote down which i thought really sort of like are great um really kind of sum up the sort of two of the stronger themes but they're sort of connected one was freedom was harder for people bound to desperation i thought that was really a great line Mm. um and to your point like these you know it's like they're they're desperate because they have to be um and again this idea of like they're bound to it like they're bound to this desperation they're bound to their path now they've they've decided to because once you go down this once you start 
like that's it right there's no you got to see this thing through mm-hmm. and a lot of this a lot of this book is like people grappling with this decision of of deciding to 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 see this through to the end come yeah. hell or come hell or high water right they have to see this through to the end no matter what and if it kills them all or breaks them all or breaks them all apart or whatever right they have to see this through to the end and this and there's so many you know anytime you have a group that's big there's so many inter, inter, interpersonal relationships going on um and that's gonna like that's it's it's forced proximity under fire times a thousand jumping out of an airplane on top of a volcano <laughs> right like it's 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 lunacy in a way um but then there's another line that's actually i'm gonna just say blank a lot of times here because i don't want to say who it is um so it's gonna sound silly but i think you'll get the- <laughs> yeah so no matter what the blank had done to blank <laughs> no matter how much they tried to crush and break blank blank would always try to find another way mm. um so that's really important and you could apply that at that line if there's specific to a character in the book but you could apply that to the entire crew i think um, yeah they're all very much of that ilk aren't they like um it's they're tough they're tough to keep down aren't they like they're tough to pin down because they're very resourceful uh and and they just have this fucking annoying stick-to-itiveness don't they (laughs) like yeah annoying if you were opposing them right yeah absolutely um i always wanted them to be the kind of people who were resilient because they had to be and it's not like this is a big heroic thing it's no it's a matter of survival and the situations that they find themselves in are sometimes pretty sad and they're not enviable situations, but they really have no choice. Asa says at one point, like, I have no choice but to be brave. And that was kind of one of the main themes too. And yeah, I, it was always intended to be a found family story and them realizing that these people are the only home they have and they might not always get along. They might butt heads very often, but they, in a lot of ways, their survival depends on each other and they have chosen each other because in a lot of ways, beneath the surface, their values do align. They will do anything for each other. And what I did get to do in the second book, what I wanted to focus on was a lot of their personal relationships with each other. And I wanted to deepen the world around them and their backstories and all the little pieces that add texture to the whole narrative, I think. You know what's done well when you have, as a reader, you sort of have this like blind trust, right? You just have this confidence that you know, like when they're all together, you know they're going to pull pull through <laughs> whatever particular situation they're in, right? Um, and that happens a lot in this in this thing. And like you get, I, I was much more comfortable reading this book when they were all together than when than when they were apart. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I want to say I'm not a super confrontational person. Yeah. I am more like Asa than Riven in my real life. Yeah. And um, I tend to be the kind of person who, like, I can't stand it when people are angry at me. And I generally like to know and understand so I can make amends and make things right. Because my initial reaction is always, oh, my God, I can't believe someone sees me that way or I can't believe I've done something wrong, even if I didn't feel it was wrong at the time. So I I tend to be a little bit more of a peacemaker than a confrontational person, but I do know people who are a little bit more, like they're very free with their 
emotions, especially yeah. when it comes to people that they love being hurt or, and I, I really admire people who are willing to go to bat for people that they love. And yeah. I think that is an amazing trait. And I think that when you're, when you're in more of a survivorship situation, that, that kind of mentality would come out a little bit more. So that was really fun to explore with these main characters. And one thing that I didn't get to do as much in the second book was have those quiet moments with them together, just existing and bantering and not being in mortal danger all the time, which was why it was kind of exciting to get to write that into Kaya's story in the novella. The novella is two pieces. One is Morphet's revenge mission, and the second one is Kaya grappling with. Right. And the future of the crew, where they go from there, the fate of certain villain, and just the it's lower stakes and a little bit slower pace, but it really does round things out nicely, I think. Yeah, that's always the thing, though, too, right? Because, uh, like, without drama, there's no conflict, and without conflict, there's no books. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to, I get what you're saying, right? Yeah, we'd love, I'd love a whole chapter of just them, like, going, you know, partying, um, <laughs> right? But um, unfortunately, that, that maybe not as grabby as some of the other stuff. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, for sure. Especially when you get attached to the characters, you really you yearn for those moments more too, right? The yeah. personal moments. It's more um, like writing fanfic after a certain point. Yeah. It's like then everyone's familiar with the characters. Then they're more interested in seeing them in the lower stakes scenarios. It's not like, oh, we're starting a book with these low stakes scenarios. There's not a lot to get readers invested if you're at the very beginning and if they don't know the characters yet. Um, so like we said, Ty starts off still in Almeda Labs. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that eventually he gets out um mm -hmm. uh, you know i won't say how or when in the circumstances yeah, yeah. but um what was the decision there if you can without spoilers like just you know like how much did you want to put poor ty through because you put him <laughs> kind of yeah it's eh. kind of bad for him something that i think nobody has brought up so far is that a lot of his arc was a kind of metaphorical for toxic masculinity in a lot of ways because yeah. he I think someone had expressed surprise that his arc wasn't about him like, oh, he's not getting stronger to fight the big bad. And it's like, no, that's not what his arc is about. He, from the very beginning, it's clear that he is kind of augmented. He is stronger now and he has this power and he could hurt people very badly, but he needs to really decide how he's going to wield it. And the whole time he's got this voice kind of whispering in his ear and saying, hey, this would be easier if you would just do it. Violence is normal and it's necessary and you're a coward if you can't do it. And he has to really balance between, is this ever okay? When do I need to stick to my ideals? And he, it is more difficult for him if he does rely more on nonviolent ideals. And for me, his superpower has always been his empathy. And I really wanted to make sure that that came through in his arc. He comes the furthest and he became the second book made him my favorite character from the Aww, duology from, well, the du from the duology. Yeah. The second Thank book. Cause I didn't really like him in the first book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this, but we have clear, uh, clear main characters. They're on the cover. Um, mm -hmm. So this is from the actual like book summary that gets released. It's like now she runs with her almost girlfriend, Rivens smuggler crew, stealing kisses between gunfights and heist. So, um, they're on the cover. We love them. They're great together. Um, but they go they they go through some stuff in the second book. And um, again, it's sort of like that bend not break situation, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
sorry, think, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, go ahead and ask. I know you might have been building something. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Sorry. I, if you let me go, it'll be 10 hours later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, for them, I think that the quiet moments were important to developing their relationship and the conflicts within it. So their whole arc was, it's really a, both of them are deciding why they want power, what they're going to do when they have it. And they have some conflicts between them partially because they do, they do things in very different ways, but they also challenge each other in ways that the other one is weak. Like Asa needs to be more confident in how she's wielding her abilities. She needs to own up to things that she's done in the past. Riven is since the first book, she's been learning to fight for the right reasons, but she's kind of gone too far into her conviction that she's going to go out with a bang and that she doesn't really, she still doesn't really see a future or a way forward. And it makes her very reckless. And they have such different ways of doing things. And this puts their relationship at odds. And they're the ones who really have to challenge each other to move forward and become the people that they needed to be. And it's kind of why things end up the way they do at the end of the book. But yeah, that was kind of the arc I'd always envisioned for both of them. They're, so they met under extreme circumstances and mm -hmm. our time with them has been, um, you know, chaotic. It's, you get caught up in the adrenaline, but once, once things quiet down, do you think, uh, do you think this relationship will last? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I think they have a pretty strong foundation after yeah. everything they've been through. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think, uh, to your point, I think they sort of like bring things to the table that the other can appreciate in the other one. And, uh, Although I do think Riven will struggle with with you know <laughs> with quieting down maybe. a bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think I think Asa has just has just the skill set to sort of you know help Riven get through that. But um, do we know what's happening yet with you? What's going on? Anything else coming in the pipe? You working on anything? What do you got? Anything you can talk about? Um. So the novella is out September nineteenth, I think. So that's okay. going to be a digital release but it's yeah. over 100 pages got a little bit out of hand but i'm pretty happy with it uh, morphet it, it, story is a lot morphet any more morphet is yeah yeah so, i've been talking so. about how it's um it's kind of like a harley quinn meets mad max carry road and it's fun and kaya's story is a lot of banter a lot of fun stuff but yeah. it is some much much needed closure that i didn't get to fully explore and i really wanted to get more of because because kaya has so much going on at the end of the first book, you think about her situation, you know, at the end of the second book, like where she leaves off with everything that's happened to her. And the story also kicked off because of her. So I thought it was fitting that. Kaya is great in this, in this book. She was so much fun. In the second book. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Really great. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I love her. I love yeah. her lines. So that's going to be in September. And then I think one reason I wanted to do the novella and get it out of my system was because I knew I would have my head stuck in this book world for at least the few months leading up to release. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to stop thinking about it. And that if I ever did stop thinking about it, I might not go back. So I was like, well, I'm in the headspace. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to conclude it. I will send it off to my editor, see what she says. And I will be done editing the novella right after the second book comes out. So it'll be boom. That will be pretty much it for me in this world, at least for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. So I 
think I will finally have the headspace to get back to the fantasy book I've been working on. I have a few others in the pipeline. I have a sci-fantasy concept I've been kicking around. I have a LARP-themed horror comedy that is could be a lot of fun if I can ever actually commit myself to it. I don't, it would work best if it weren't YA, but the market will probably want it to be YA. So we will see where that goes. But for the foreseeable future, I'll be working on dark fantasy stuff. Okay. What, uh, so you, so it's not YA, what is it? New adult or adult or, or younger? Um, my, the LARP my fantasy and, yeah. oh, the LARP one, I, I think it would probably have to be YA. I No, but what, what, if you could choose though? <laughs> I would probably make it about adults. Adult, adults, okay. But yeah, just yeah, yeah. the way the market is, there's not really a contemporary category in adult. It's more of like literary fiction or romance. Yep. yep. Not really either of those. And it's not a full on horror either. Hmm. Yeah. Everything else will probably be written as adult, might sell as YA. Who knows? Um, I feel like there's a market there, like an untapped market. I got, hmm. I have some uh, LARPing friends who would love to read that so yeah i have wanted to write a lart book for a while because i think that nobody's really done anything no like that's that. what i'm saying I I'm, like i fun. can't even think of one right now we've had comic con books we've had i'm trying to think of what else we've had D D books before or like books based on like real life tabletop groups yeah oh yeah no but i mean you know like but not a, larp not that no, i've seen no that's what i mean i can't think of one right now off the top of my head so yeah so um, i think that would be a lot of fun there you go i've got ideas I've got ideas. You hear that? <laughs> um, Claire, thank you so much. I know you got to run. So um, I hey, appreciate it. Thank you so I, much for inviting me on again. This was great. No problem. And obviously I'll let you know when this goes out and best of luck with the release. And, um, you know, just, I know people, uh, you know, to me, it's not a matter of people enjoying this series. It's just making sure, you know, getting people to read it. Right. It's like anything, like any other book. There's so many books that come out and, and they're all great, but if they're not if people don't read them then they don't know they're great so um this is this is one of those series that i i think if if people read it they'll love it so oh thank you so much i really yeah. appreciate this and uh yeah so best of luck with the release and uh we'll have you back in september to talk about the novella oh my goodness <laughs> i hope you like it i will i'm sure i will i mean it's you it, it's you writing it and i like it's two for two so <laughs> it would have to be uh, things would have to fall apart pretty bad for me not to like it i'm sure but uh I think I'll like it, but we'll have you back. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Okay, Claire.